Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Happy Tuesday, lovely people. I was looking for the right word to describe today's episode and important is the correct word. We have got Maria Fox with us today. She is a senior leader in the police force here in the UK and it's just such an inspiration and such an act of bravery that she's decided to come and share her story on the show. I cannot imagine what it's like to be under the pressure that a police officer is under every day but I do know um, what it's like to not feel like you can speak openly about um, alcohol or the relationship that you have with alcohol because of my time as a teacher and and the stigma that many of us feel that there is around this. So I think this is such an important conversation. It's incredible that Maria is doing what she's doing. And not just that, but she's she made so much change so quickly and she's so knowledgeable, both in the world of This Naked Mind, where many of you may recognize her name from being a mentor in the live alcohol experiment, but also because of the huge amount of knowledge she has around metabolism and weight loss because of her work with Lumen, which is also really inspirational. So, you know, there's, there's many just amazingly interesting parts to Maria's story and we're really excited to put this out into the world. So without further ado, I will hand over to us. Happy Tuesday, folks. This Ooh. is um, another super duper exciting episode. So we are rapidly headed towards Christmas. We're almost nearly at December. And we've got one of my special friends here. We've got Maria Fox here. Hi, Maria. How are you? Hi, Ellie. I'm really good. Thank you. Welcome. Huge welcome to Maria. Now, some of you, anybody that's familiar with the This Naked Mind community, will know who Maria is because she is um, a a pillar of support in the communities. She's been in pretty much every live alcohol experiment for the last year as a mentor. And um, she's been an awesome support. And um, I I can't even remember where we first met in one of the alcohol experiments. And uh, it's just been... (laughs) <laughs> one, one that I was coaching was it last January maybe I think it was January I think that was the first one that I mentored in actually I think I did the November one again as a you know to kick me forward yes awesome. we'll hear about that in a minute yes. <laughs> so Maria's just been an awesome support uh, to us coaches fellow mentors and participants going through the live alcohol experiment some news on that in the coming weeks because we'll be headed to the Um, as Scott refers to it, Scott Pinyard, the Super Bowl of the live alcohol experiments coming up in January. Very exciting. Um, But yeah, Maria has been a big part of that. And uh, it's been wonderful, number one, to get to know her and uh, to develop connection and friendship with her. She's a wonderful lady. And she has got a bloody, I nearly said the F word again there. (laughs) very sweary today she's got a wonderful story and um some really exciting uh things to share with us in terms of her own journey um so in a minute i'm going to hand it over to maria uh, just as a little bit of a frame uh, maria is a senior leader in the police force here in the uk so she has a uh, a big role in the police force and that um uh there's 
there's an interesting backdrop to that in terms of Maria's story with alcohol and now what she's doing, having learned what she's learned and experienced what she's learned and her own growth and development. So it's a, a real honour to have you here, Maria. So thank Welcome. you so much for joining us. And I'm going to hand over to you and you can get us started with uh, where is the best place to start in your story? Well, I think I'm going to start with um, when I was actually a teenager and kind of growing up and then going to university, actually, because I kind of think it's relevant. So uh, because of how my relationship, I guess, with alcohol developed over those years or didn't actually, because um, the reality is I, I actually nearly ended up a teacher, Sam, like you. Um, I went to university, I did a degree in theology because uh, I'm a Christian and I, I thought I was perhaps going to go and be a teacher or go into the ministry. And then um, quite soon after finishing university, I decided I didn't want to do the PGCE year and decided I wanted to be a police officer. But if I just rewind into university, because university was a place where I could have become, you know, quite a big drinker. I was part of a hockey club, uh, played for the university hockey team and football team. And there was a lot of drinking, a lot yeah. of drinking that used to take place in those contexts. And actually, I found it really difficult. I hated the peer pressure, partly because I was part of the Christian Union and we didn't really do that kind of thing. We didn't drink very much. And we certainly didn't drink lots. Like students were just getting absolutely out of their heads all the time. And in the hockey scene, they used to do these things called boat races. Have you heard of them? Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> and, and I used to just find the toilet or something before I'd actually even embarked in the boat. I, I didn't even like beer. It was horrible. It was disgusting. Um, so I really struggled with the whole university culture because there was a lot of pressure. And so I used to kind of try and avoid those sort of social occasions, really. And if I did ever drink too much, I definitely threw up because because my body rejected it because he didn't want it. It's toxic at the end of the day. So um so at uni I was really not a wasn't a big drinker at all and and then when I so I then went on and I did a year as a social worker working with young people and then joined the police joined Greater Manchester actually police at that time and um and in my early police service again there was a lot in that young kind of space young police officers where people would it was quite boozy the culture was quite boozy <laughs> but again I didn't really it wasn't it wasn't something that was um, a priority on my list. There was a social context where we did go out and um, we'd used to drink, obviously. Uh, and that, and there wasn't, I never kind of saw anything wrong with that, but I quite often nominated myself as the driver. So again, and I was very sporty, you know, I was still playing hockey and doing a lot of competitive sports, very into my fitness, most of the way through my 20s. And I wouldn't say actually at that point in my 20s, I really had any kind of what I would say issue or mild you know uh, alcohol use disorder um I you know drank I drank at weekends probably didn't really drink during the week um but I guess one of the things I did become aware of was that uh, when I got to about I think it was five or six years service so just coming up for 30 I was I got on the fast track what was it accelerated promotion as we called it then in the police and again, went to the kind of police training college. We were there for quite a long period of time. There was a bar. So the culture then of going to drink after we, well, we used to do the studies and then we would go probably go for a run or something. And then it would be the bar after dinner. That was kind of like a repetitive thing most nights. So 
you you could quite easily then have got into this well I did get into that was probably the first period in my life where I started to get into the habit of drinking on a on a more daily basis whilst I was on those courses um and actually what I learned was actually if you developed a bit of a good tolerance level then you never really felt like you were getting drunk so you weren't ever out of control or stupid or giddy well I I wasn't anyway I just developed a good steadily slowly incrementally developed a pretty good tolerance and I'm five foot eight so you know I'm a I'm not I'm not small so I've got a bigger frame so I guess in terms of kind of ability to take a little bit more alcohol that tolerance built up quite nicely <laughs> yeah that's a good way of putting it in there <laughs> um, and that tolerance built up quite nicely and and then it was I still was not I wasn't excluded from the group I was still very much part of the group and then probably I became quite I, I probably started to quite like the whole thing and so I used to then be the one that used to bring it with me and we used to have wine sometimes back in the room. We'd, we'd go to the bar and then we'd go back to somebody's room and we'd drink for a bit longer. It sounds terrible, doesn't it, really? But, you know, it, it was it, it was while we were... It wasn't obviously whilst we were on duty or anything um, and we were in a kind of studying environment. So there was a lot of that that went on. Um, and I think my tolerance level then at that point kind of increased. And the, and the social thing within the police, you know, um, we we deal with a lot of traumatic stressful scenarios and society has conditioned us very much I think to say that well actually the way that we diffuse all that is to go and have a beer let's go and have a drink after work let's you know it'll sort it all out when actually, as I've discovered, it does completely the opposite to your nervous system. And, you know, I've got charts of what my Garmin stress levels look like after an evening of drinking half a bottle of wine, not a bottle of wine, you know, and actually the impact of it, it actually doesn't help stress at all. But there is this belief, and we go, we'll talk about beliefs, I'm sure, in a minute. There's a belief that, that it, it's a way of de-stressing because actually de-stressing is associated, alcohol is associated with de-stressing <laughs> based on absolutely zero science, it's totally subjective. So actually people could, could pin the belief on it and think it's doing something good for them, but actually it's not really doing anything good for them at all. But I think in, in policing, you know, all the trauma stuff, actually it does work to numb you at that point, to separate you from it. And so I suppose the tolerance grew for me. And then I had a role at, at, um, back in sort of 2000, and this is, we're talking about a long time ago now, sort of between 2007 and 2009, I was involved in um, running murder investigations and overseeing murder investigations and all of that, going to post-mortems, all that kind of stuff was pretty, Traumatic, but you don't think about it as traumatic, particularly because it's your day job. <laughs> that sounds really mm. bizarre. But, you know, you know, how many dead bodies have you seen? Uh, you probably haven't seen that many. Not many. No, exactly. And, and so, um, but it was a way when you came home from work of just switching off. Mm. Now, um, I think that's probably where for me, you know, it, it, I started to do that quite a bit to switch off from uh, stuff yeah. but at, at that stage I was probably only drinking a couple of glasses of wine most nights or some nights 
a mixture of nights. I wasn't drinking all the time at that point at all. Um, and, 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 I, and I've said this recently when I was presenting to a group of officers and staff about, you know, what, how do you know what is moderate? You know, people talk about moderate drinking. What is moderate? Well, what's moderate for me might be not moderate for you and it might be different. And so actually there isn't a, you know, you can't say, oh, that's moderate. If you're drinking more than a couple of days in the week, you're probably not a moderate drinker. You know, we have the whole government guidance, don't we, about you shouldn't drink this many units or you should drink only, is it 11 units or something or 13? It keeps going down, doesn't it, basically? Yeah, and the reality and the truth of the matter is actually now the science says, actually, there's no safe limit. They don't want that out there because there is no safe limit. And we know that it causes seven, is the main cause for seven types of cancer. You know, Mm. people don't want to hear those stats and they want to tune you out when you start to um, talk about those stats. So I fast forward a little bit then from running murders and doing that kind of stuff to being a force incident manager back on shifts and having not worked shifts for uh, quite a few years, that was quite a shock to my system. And I'd come home from work and really struggle to go to sleep. And having never drank in the morning, um, found myself drinking a glass of wine or two glasses of wine as it was the evening and then going to sleep. And of course, that helped me go to sleep. But then it didn't let me sleep very well because we know how it impacts on sleep. Mm -hmm. So there was this whole kind of, um, I guess, progression where, you know, alcohol was becoming... um, a, a, a way of disconnecting from some of the stuff in work. It was a way I'd associated with de-stressing. It was then the reward when I came back from my bike ride. I've earned my bottle of Prosecco. Mm. Um, and suddenly you find yourself in a space where actually there's every reason to drink, you know. And I hear people at work talk openly about this all the time oh yeah whatever's a good reason and if you haven't you know drank on the plane and you haven't had your beer at the airport you haven't really had a holiday and I kind of think oh no Mm. you just don't know what you're sleepwalking into Mm. and um so and I guess what happens then is your muscle memory with alcohol you get the tolerance level you then need more because Mm it's addictive at the end of the day. And I don't think I really, I don't think, you know, one of my friends, really close friends, he used to say to me, Maria, it's not a health drink. And actually he was probably giving me a bit of a warning, you know, with what he was saying. He's a good good friend, uh, leader of the church that I'm in. But he used to say, Maria, it's not a health drink. And I used to go, yeah, but it's all right. There's nothing wrong with it, you know, because I wasn't educated at all mm. um, around really its impact and how I was getting addicted. I never saw it as an addictive substance. I don't know why I didn't see it as an addictive substance, but I think that's part of the whole society's made it uh, so accessible, so uh, the norm that mm. people don't see it as an addictive substance and don't think they would ever get addicted or dependent on it. Cause I think people see the alcoholic, that's an interesting term anyway, but they see that person as the person on the park bench or the criminal that's just gone in to steal wine instead of it actually being anybody that has just overexposed themselves to alcohol. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and there's loads of people that have overexposed themselves to alcohol in all these different spheres. So, mm. you know, did I find that I was increasing my amount because of the murders? I don't know. Did I, was it because of being a, not having nights and not being able to sleep properly? I don't know. But what I do know is over that period, it began to increase. And then I was in a work context, which wasn't the easiest work context. And I was struggling to manage a particular um particular relationship it wasn't that the relationship was bad but the relationship caused me a lot of stress and that relationship caused me a lot of stress and the way that I then found to deal with that stress and this is probably where where the brain then gets more addicted because this then repeats itself in a minute and I'll tell you about that but I then started to drink pretty routinely every day and would, apart from the days that I was on, you know, if I was on duty call or when I say duty call, if I was on call over the, overnight, um, then I wouldn't obviously drink on those days. But, but on the other days I would be drinking and it would vary in terms of the quantity that I would drink. Um, but it doesn't really matter actually how much you drink because if you're drinking every day, you are already in that space. And because I'd already breached the morning boundary, <laughs> that meant that quite often at weekends, I might drink in if I wasn't working all day, um, mm. which was a really bad space. And actually, you know, in that kind of lead up, I'd say, so that was kind of between 2016 to 2018. I then also at the same time hit the perimenopause kind of space or begin to. So I start not being able to sleep and having anxiety and stuff to do with that. But now I don't really know what is what is what. Um, and I remember thinking I've got to somehow take a break. In fact, I think it was it was sort of March, April time. I was away skiing and in March and I kindly and finally admitted to myself that I had got I was in the mild to moderate. I was in the moderate alcohol use disorder space, if we're going to use that terminology. And I definitely struggled to go without it. And if I had to work, you know, duty and all that, I wasn't, you know, so I wasn't drinking there, but that was really hard. Mm. Um, and we didn't do like seven days of duty. So there was never a, a full seven day period where, um, a, well, there, there were occasional five day period, but not probably in 2018 for me. I was going to say I had kind of four days where I'd have to not, and then I'd have three days where I'd have to not. But then the rest of the time, you know, it was it wasn't in that space. Bef when I'd had a role before where I was um, a firearms commander, we were on call for a whole week. So that gave you a whole week out of the space. Um, but that that wasn't the case sort of from early 2018. Mm -hmm. And um I remember thinking, in fact, I remember just getting really tearful and really upset. And I said to my friend, I've got to go to the doctor. So, and I said, and I've got to stop drinking. And it was shortly after I'd had a bike accident as well. I'd been knocked off my bike and that had made everything worse. And I'd had a couple of days where I hadn't drank and then I'd gone, you know, the whole bike accident, the trauma of that, that was affecting me. So anyway, I went, I went to the doctor. I actually stopped drinking. I just went, right, that's it. I'm going to stop. It's like, right, I'm going to do this. We are going to give this. I mean, I had tried up to that point. I've got a friend that I kept saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a break from alcohol. And I had a break at the beginning of my 40s. I'd done like a 40-day break. And I'd, I'd got, it, it kind of kick-started a health and weight loss and all that kind of thing. 
but I'd not gone, you know, I'd not kind of kept those parameters in place. So now I'm 40, I was heading for 48. Anyway, I went to the doctors and I told the doctor, I went with my friend, actually. I said, I need to go to the doctors and I need to be quite honest with the doctor. So I went to the doctor and told the doctor and he said, and he was like, his eyes just kind of opened up wide. And then, and then he said, well, okay, we need to work out a bit of a plan then to help you stop. And I went, oh no, I have stopped. <laughs> and he went, when? And I said, four days ago. <laughs> he went, and you're okay? And I went, yeah. And he, said, <laughs> he said, wow, that's brilliant. Um, well, you could have been really ill. <laughs> And I said, well, I, it's been quite difficult. I've been very tearful and very, you know, because I had been and I was a bit of a bit of a state. Anyway, um, he he was he encouraged me then to, to take a 30 day break. And meanwhile, and this is where this naked mind came in. I noticed that a colleague from the gym had hadn't had alcohol for six months because she'd posted something. I think it was six months at this point and so I messaged her because she said she'd done this she was taking a, a year off I think amazing and, yeah and she messaged me back and said and I just said oh I've been in this sticky space and you know for whatever reason I'm, I'm not in a good place with this and I really need to readdress you know address my kind of relationship with alcohol and it's not good and she said oh you need to read these books so <laughs> She recommended um, This Naked Mind. And then she recommended William Porter's book. Um, yeah, what a stack. Yeah. And then she recommended uh, Alcohol Lied to Me as well. She's got her head screwed on. It's good. Yeah, mm. she, did, she did really well. She said, read these and this will help. And, um, and once I got through the first 14 days, I did actually, I did start reading. Um, I, started, I, I read This Naked Mind first. And it was like reading my story. You know, reading the reading all of the introduction, reading Annie's story was so like my story in so many different ways, but I guess we can all connect with that. You know, you, you weren't in the space, but because of the context that was around you, you ended up in the space. Cause that probably was me when I look back, you know, I wasn't a drinker in my twenties. I wasn't a drinker at uni. And it was really the context, I suppose, that had pressed me into the space without any kind of understanding. And I suppose if I could go back, I'd go, oh, well, I should have just stayed in the space that I was in when I was in my twenties. But knowing now what I know about alcohol, I'm quite happy that I'm in the space that I'm in, yeah. which is with a very different mindset. So fast forward. So I did this Naked Mind. I then did, I said I did this, I read the book. I then signed up because I did about 60 days alcohol free. And then I thought, oh, I can do this. This is great. And I went back to see the doctor and the doctor was really happy. And he said, I think you're fine. I don't think it's an issue. <laughs> I ah. think, um, well, he didn't say I don't think it's an issue. He just said, um, I think the fact you just took 30 days off like that, it's really good. And I don't think you're, um, I don't think you're addicted. I don't think there's an addiction issue. Ooh. I know, which was probably a little bit dangerous at this point. And um, he, he did, he did, he did reverse on that, by the way, at a future point. Backpedaling. <laughs> yeah, he did backpedal <laughs> a little bit beyond that. Because then I went back and I went, oh, now I can't, you know, I, I seem to be back in the space again. Um, so there was a bit of, so for about eight months, I did about eight months alcohol free. And I think at the end of the eight months, and this Naked Mind Intensive was a massive, massive, that laid a fantastic foundation, mm -hmm. belief wise, 
to help me actually when I did go alcohol free again last November. Because then what happened after sort of um, the eight months was I thought, all oh, right, okay, I think I probably can moderate like most people do. And actually, I have worked out I can moderate, but I don't want to. Yeah. And that is so I so I started, obviously, I, I'm going to fast forward quite quickly. But basically, I went through about 12 to 18 months then where I started to do the moderation thing. And I had some quite tight boundaries at the beginning, but those tight boundaries became loose boundaries, which then meant I was heading back to the space. I then had all these health issues start to manifest at the beginning of 2020 with the perimenopausal stress. I then had thrombophlebitis. I was in the obese category at 14 stone 10. I then had a DVT. I then had ECG issues. And by September, I was, by the time I was 50, talk about midlife crisis, I hit the wall. I didn't quite hit the walls immediately whilst I was 50, but about three or four weeks after that, my nervous system just said, can't take anymore. Mm. This is the line is you've got to draw a line and you've got to just stop. And I did just stop. And, um, and actually at that point with all these different physical symptoms, I thought, right, one thing I can do right now is actually get back on track with being alcohol free. And I had actually had a few, well, I had a few days here and there. I mean, I'd used the tracker <laughs> and in 2020, it was probably up to about, I had about, there was one, there was a couple of weeks in there. Like when I went away with work, I didn't drink. How about that? And do you know what? I went away with work to Turkey and I didn't drink really whilst I was there. Well, I had, I think on the first night I had something to drink, but the rest of the week I didn't. And it, it was quite easy, but it was almost like, because I know this is the most unsafe context, I'm not going to drink. Mm. And it was like bizarre. But anyway, fast forward, September, hit 50. Um, and then about a month after that, just just couldn't cope anymore. And um, everything just imploded around me. And I ended up having to report unfit for work. And just because... I guess the physical symptoms were pretty bad. The, all the anxiety around, well, what is going on with your heart? And now you've got had a second blood clot because I'd had a blood clot when I was um, 37 after a skiing accident. So I really needed to kind of um, address all those things. And um, it was the most horrible, dark, alien place because suddenly all my value, all the things that I loved about work and all the things that were great, suddenly they're all gone. And I've got no, I've got no capacity, no emotional capacity, no mental capacity. And all I knew was uh, eating, sleeping and not drinking alcohol and exercise. And that was the point that I bought a Lumen device. I'd actually bought the Lumen device. It came about a week before I hit the wall. And I just, I just make quick reference that Lumen is a metabolic tracker that gives you feedback on what your metabolism is doing at any moment in time. So it tells you whether your body's burning fat or whether it's burning carbohydrate. And what it does is it gives you a, a nutrition plan to um, help your body become more what they call metabolically flexible which enables better overall health overall, clearly, but also it enables you to become efficient with using fats and carbs. And that helps you to then lose weight if you need to lose weight, get fitter, get stronger, get leaner, um, 
in a nutshell. But it's it's more about that that overall health picture. So it also helps with your sleep and everything else. So I bought that. So and, and then I signed up for the alcohol experiment. I'd been alcohol free for about mm, a week and a half. Actually, before I went sick from work, I'd done a couple of weeks where I'd not drank in the week and I just had a drink at the weekend. So October the 26th, went alcohol free, signed up for the experiment. And the two things in November last year that kept me moving forward was the November, November live alcohol experiment and Lumin. So Lumin gave me a structure yeah. to keep me going every day. And the alcohol experiment did pretty much the same, just that daily video, the reflections, all of that. Because actually at that point, as other than the counsellor got assigned from work, who was exceptional, um, she was brilliant. Um, I didn't really have anywhere to go and I really didn't know mm. how to navigate this very unfamiliar and very difficult territory that I was in. That's, so that's beautiful kind of- though because you had at, at, at the same time without realizing it you had all this amazing mind stuff going on and the metabolic health piece the somatic piece it's not just about you know people might be listening in and thinking okay burning fat or burning cup you know but that's about all of the like everything that's happening in your body it's affecting yeah. your sleep it's affecting your energy yeah. your restfulness yeah. everything so getting everything. those both at the same time <laughs> must have been the most wonderful opening for you I can imagine that was incredible well and yeah and I think the funny thing is now looking back I don't I, can't, I kind of think well that was pretty amazing that I did <laughs> those two things at the same time and, and people genuinely when they've seen me you know since going back to work or they haven't seen me so I then obviously with COVID and everything else, pretty much disappeared off most people's radar. Didn't really see anybody, didn't actually want to see anybody for the first, you know, three or four months. I really, I'm an extrovert, I'm a big extrovert, but I did not, I didn't, I did not want to have any kind of relationships really. I built some relationships within the alcohol experiment community. Mm -hmm. So I obviously got to know Ellie a bit and I got to know um, another lady, Annie Knowles, um, who's a good friend who's in, in the NHS and I actually got to meet her face to face recently for the first time. I reached out to her. It was really weird. I had no capacity. And yet I reached out to her and I reached out to another lady that's currently doing really well now in the alcohol experiment. And she was in America. I reached out to her. And then there's another lady in America. So I had a few little relationships of kind of online relationships. Mm-hmm. But that was a kind of almost a safe type of relationship because they weren't actually in my my space um, and I reached out to another girl in Manchester who had friends of mutual friends that I didn't realize but so then I so through the kind of out going alcohol free so that was just so liberating and my body just went thank you so much Maria for doing that that was just so, so kind of you to really realize that actually this is good this is healthy and you are in a good space so Physically, I took control of the things I could take control of. What was very interesting was I slept like a baby for four months. I mean, I slept 9, 10, 11, even 12 hours some nights for almost four months solidly. And it was like my body was going, oh, breathing a sigh of relief. And then in the meantime... I suppose I was working on the whole metabolic thing, the burnout and stress. I did functional, you know, you talked about functional medicine before we started. I did an adrenal gland test. I did a gut bio test. I did um, a DNA test. 
And all of those things gave me loads more information to work with in terms of that whole journey back to overall health. And I think that when you have a burnout, people, I and mean, I've talked to people, oh yeah, I've had that. And I'm like, no, you haven't had that. Because when your nervous system implodes, you can't do anything to make it get better. You have to just be patient. And that was probably the hardest thing for me was the, you know, eventually my resilience will come back. But, but at the moment, I can only do the eat, sleep, exercise, fresh air, repeat. And it was fine. And it was okay. And, it, you know, obviously it did come to a point where it started to improve. But it took probably four months before I was then starting to be able to manage things again. But in terms of going alcohol-free the second time, what I would say is penny dropped in December, I can virtually remember it like vividly. So I'd done all, I'd done probably two and a half weeks in October, alcohol free. And then, then in November, I went, I was fine the whole month, I went through December to the 20th of December. And then between the 20th of December and the 31st of December, I had four data points, as we call them. And they were quite intentional data points. So I don't count my, I know I've done a year alcohol-free since the 26th of October, but I don't actually, I'm waiting until January the 1st to say that I've done a proper year, <laughs> but, um, which is crazy really. But, um, but the four data points actually, and I, I saw Annie on a video, I think the other night when she was, I don't know what she was talking about. She was, she was talking about data points being important and people going, oh, you know, what's good and what isn't. And, I just put data points of actually what propelled me into my freedom because yeah. those four data points were really key. The first one, I drank a bottle of Prosecco. It was on Christmas Eve. No, I had a, I think I had a G&T. No, I didn't. That was a different night. I had a bottle of Prosecco on Christmas Eve. And then I went around and had dinner at, at a friend's house. This was in the evening and had two glasses of red wine. And oh my goodness, having not drank mm. pretty much all of um, November, well, I hadn't drank all of November, all of uh, December to that point. I'd had on the 20th, I'd had a baby, so it wasn't a big deal. But the Christmas Eve, I had too much. And um, I had the whole thing at four o'clock in the morning. I mean, imagine that Christmas Day, flipping four o'clock in the morning. And I just thought, what are you playing at, you stupid woman? <laughs> and um, I don't know which video it was, but I think I was revisiting the materials in the um, alcohol experiment as well through December. And I just realized that the muscle memory it suddenly dropped for me. It was like, your muscle memory is too good. And so it's too easy to drink more than a glass or two glasses. And actually, because you've overexposed your brain too many times, it's no different to the way you ski rapidly down a mountain. You might not have been skiing for two years, but mm. you get back on those skis and after two runs, you're zipping down the mountain like you've never not skied before. And I just thought, that's it. You know, the reality is, if I am going to ever drink alcohol, I'm going to have to summon up the most willpower ever to just stick with you know one or two and I did it on New Year's Eve I had two glasses of champagne but it was really difficult and I just thought 
this is rubbish and it's not even enjoyable. So why, why am I putting myself through this? And you know what? Since New Year's Eve, I have not had the least interest in it. And I don't, and every time I've thought, well, I've done so long now, you know, so what? I've had communion wine, you know, but at church, but it doesn't make me go, oh, I'm desperate for a glass of wine now. I mean, we're talking about a little tiny. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that's that's the difference between information and insight and when you're ready to learn it. And the data point thing is, you know, that's why it can be so powerful is that it's there's information in the feeling. So when it hits you, it's not even the like thought process of it's it's the deep, deep realization of, oh, I get it. I have an embodied understanding of how this works. I see the cycle. Like I feel the cycle now. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, and then suddenly in a moment, the whole story can fall away. And it happens at different times for different people. And, and having that experience is so powerful. It's amazing. Well, and I think it's like when you realize that everything we do in life, I mean, I'm so like you are, I'm so fascinated with how the body, how the brain works and how, you know, muscle memory is formed and how, um, how it repeat, even, you know, this time of year, I've had a, it's been quite interesting because a lot of the triggers from this time last year of all the things that I went through have started to play out a little bit. And it's been quite interesting because I just thought, well, that's, that's the muscle memory thing. That's Mm. the body going, Oh, it's that time of year. And there's, but the interesting thing is about that. And I, you know, I messaged Shelly and said, I've had absolutely no desire to, to go and buy. I have, Mm. I've actually got no desire to buy alcohol at all. I, I can't even, I've got alcohol in my house. I mean, a lot of people go, what? You've got alcohol? Yeah, I've got two bottles of champagne in the cupboard. And at some point when I have some friends around, I'll, I'll let them have the champagne, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm not, there's no, I've got some wine on the table that somebody brought me that's a gift and it's got on the label, It's it's been made specially for me, but he didn't know, <laughs> bless him. And uh, it was for my 50th birthday. So it's in a presentation case on the table and it has been for the whole year, but there's yeah. absolutely no... So, yeah, and when the penny does drop and you're in that space and it's like, well, but why? You know, now I ask the question. When people have said, oh, do you want a glass of wine? Oh, go on, have a glass. I just, I go, well, what, you know, you convince me. What benefit is it going to give me? Because with Lumen and going alcohol-free, I'm now the fittest, strongest, leanest, slimmest I've ever been in my life. My metabolism's on fire. Why would I want to put something in my body that actually yeah. causes it to be poisoned. Yeah. So it's um, a, a, it, it's one hell of a bloody journey, Maria. And the, the, those data points, just as you say, that they are so powerful. And it's it's interesting that experience that you describe, where where you're in a community with people that might be new to programs uh, like this naked uh, from this naked mind, where they're kind of new to. Um, how you know how it all goes and the grace-led compassion based approach it's very different to what people are used to if they've taken a, a step into anything like this and so it can feel a bit like it's, it's like we have the pause so in the intensive the first part is the pause and yeah. it's where you stop trying to stop drinking and people are like well, yeah. hang on a minute it's okay to drink yeah of course it's okay to drink you know and, every, and everything's okay and the data points are okay and it's and people can find it very hard to wrap their head around but just as you say it's the data points that will set you free yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I had a very, it's interesting. I had a really similar sort of experience to you in so much as um, when I, so I was very much, very much drinking for stress release. And uh, when I, <laughs> when I discovered the science of how it worked, when I came randomly came across this naked mind, I, I could not believe it. And I, I like, I remember reading this thing and at the start of it, it said, written by Annie, uh, your brain's going to try and tell you that this isn't true because you're not going to want to believe it, but just, you know, have an open mind, be patient with yourself. And I started to read it and I'm like, holy shit. Like that. And, and then after I'm thinking, how the, how the hell have I got to the age of, God, what would I have been, 39? How have I got to this age? And like, how did I not know this? Like, how does everybody not know this? Like, this is crazy. Because just yeah. as you said early on, not only does it not relieve your stress, it <laughs> compounds it. It makes everything bloody worse. And I'm thinking, like, this is a fucking scam. How does like how do we not know about this? I know. So I like that belief was my strongest belief about alcohol, and it was gone like that. And I, and 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 there with it, my desire to drink. And it was the weirdest feeling, the weirdest feeling. And so this was the December of 2019. I then about a week later, because I'm on Annie's email list register for the alcohol experiment I thought oh, yeah I'm going to go into this I'm going to do dry January anyway I might as well go along into this program and I was doing the pre-work and the pre-work they talk about mindful drinking yeah. um, and so although I had no desire to drink there were a handful of occasions that presented themselves between me signing up for the alcohol experiment and I had my last drink on the 27th of December there were a handful of occasions that presented themselves and uh, I think two two or three of them were where somebody offered me a drink and I didn't really want it, but um, I decided to drink on those occasions because I wanted to see what happened. I wanted to see, it's all right, it's 20 minutes thing. Is that, does that yeah. really, is it 20 minutes? Yeah. And so I used them very intentionally. And one of the, where you said about drinking Prosecco, like on, on Christmas Eve, I would have always wrapped the presents with champagne, yeah. Michael Bublé on, duh, 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 gets you through doing all of that. Um, and I decided to drink champagne on Christmas Eve, as I'd always done, even though I didn't, I didn't really fancy it, but I was like, well, you know, I've got that strong association, want to check it out. And of course spoiler alert it doesn't add anything to the occasion it detracts completely from it and so then I ticked over into Christmas day and it was my first alcohol-free Christmas apart from pregnancy and it and it was incredible it was absolutely incredible but that data point there the Christmas Eve one got rid of the belief that I like the way it makes me feel no I don't I don't like the way it makes me feel at all and the other belief the last belief that got knocked over um, by the 27th of December was I thought I liked the taste. I thought it was some bloody wine aficionado. I had all of the expensive bottles of champagne. My friend was round with her husband and opened this bottle of champagne and, and, I, and I didn't want it. So she's, she's drinking it, but she got very uncomfortable with me not drinking. And um, she ended up pouring me a glass and, and I took this glass from her and I went and took a sip. And this is like a really expensive bottle of champagne. I took a sip and I went, and uh, sorry, this is going to be a visual for people listening. I went, and I, and I recoiled because I didn't like the taste of it. So my point being, I just want to enhance this thing. These data points are not like somehow you've, oh, I've slipped. I hate the whole like, oh, I've slipped up. I've gone backwards. I've, you know, ruined my streak. I hate all of that because it's not it, the, the absolute gold 
is in the data points, whether they're alcohol-free data points or they're data points with mindful drinking. They are so valuable. Those three beliefs, I like the taste, I like the way it makes me feel, it relaxes me, all gone. So when I went into the alcohol experiment as a participant in that January, I, like, I, I was already you know, you on fire. Know. Yeah, gone. Yeah. And it, well, it's just, it is so powerful. I mean, just reflecting on my story, when I wrote, uh, you know, I wrote into the at the office at this Naked Mind just to kind of give them a bit of an update last weekend. I just thought, you know, wow, it, I, you know, I thought perhaps I'd cracked it in 2018, but then, you know, it's not a straight line. And I think that's the other thing for people, you know, when they think, oh, you know, I've, I, well, first off, it's the first, the first thing I think is when people go, oh, I can't, I've tried day one, I still can't get through one day. You know, I want to say to them, man, I tried day one so many times, you know, or, you know, I'm trying to do a consecutive kind of stint, as it were. Um, and the reality is that first 14 days is always going to be the most difficult, I think, because of your brain biochemistry and the fact that it takes 14 days to get it out of the system. Mm. Well, it actually takes the liver 30 days to reset, but but 14 days for the brain to stop pressing for the dopamine hit at the time of day that it's used to the dopamine hit mm. because muscle memory says, oh, I get that hit at five o'clock or six o'clock or seven o'clock. Where's the hit? Where's the hit? Where's the hit? So it's pressing that button every single day. So actually at that point, you are having to really press through probably a little bit more in the willpower space until your belief system is changed or until it stops pressing the button. And then once the button stops being pressed every day, it gives you a bit of space then for the beliefs to then to start to take a hold. So you then have got that platform. Because I've got to say, last October, I did the first, so I did the two weeks where I didn't drink in the week. Um, I think it was the 11th of October I started. And then I did the second week, the 18th. Yeah, that's right. 18th did that week during the week. And when I actually got to the 25th or 26th of October, when I did stop, actually that first week was really easy. And I reckon that was also because I'd had 10 alcohol free days leading up to the first 14 days. But once you get in that space, you know, you're into, and, and watching my weight loss was quite interesting because it didn't, it wasn't fast at the beginning. Um, and looming gives you like, um, a thing called a metabolic flexibility score and the metabolic flexibility score is anything from one to 21 21 being the highest so if you're in the one to seven range that is low metabolic flexibility eight to i think it's 14 is medium and 15 to 21 is high well i was eight which was top of the low range really and that first month, you know, when people in the alcohol experiment go, oh, I've stopped drinking and I'm not losing any weight. Well, you're not going to lose any weight. Actually, you might not lose any weight for a whole month. Sorry. It doesn't matter that you've got calorie deficit because right now your liver's going <gasps> big sigh. Thank you. Now I can start to just repair myself and get ready to do all the things that I'm supposed to do because you stopped putting that poison in me. Mm. And that's the reality. So my first four weeks alcohol free were very slow on the weight loss, but I was definitely, you know, definitely in calorie deficit, but also interestingly, in terms of my, what the measurements were with coming out with Lumen, I was still very much in the stress carb burning space. It's very interesting that after a month, alcohol free coincides with when my body now starts to want to adjust 
to burning fat. And uh, I only noticed this the other day when people were going on in the looming community about, oh, I'm still blowing threes and fours in the morning, which is carbs and fat or just carbs or mainly carbs. And I can't get a two or a one and I've tried fasting and blah. And I'm just going, just live normally. Don't do any crazy fasting. 12 hours is plenty. Just be patient. You'll get there. Your body will switch. It's interesting, though, that it took four weeks of being alcohol free. For me, it was like that's when it actually started to change. And actually, then what happened for me in terms of the weight loss picture was the longer I was alcohol free, the more I was following the metabolic plan, the more metabolically flexible I got, the faster the weight fell off. And we're talking mm-hmm. like, you know, it started off four pounds, then it was five, then it was seven, and it, it climaxed in April with nine. So you know mm-hmm. how normally people, when they lose weight, it slows down at the end? Nah, it sped up, it got faster and faster and faster the longer I went, um, the longer I went basically. It's interesting, the metabolic like flexibility thing. I think when we've been eating the way that so many of us have with like kind of this, you know, in America, they call it the sad diet, the standard American diet. We don't really call it here what we call it, you know, just like a, you know, the, the normal processed food diet. Becoming metabolically, you know, flexible, learning to burn fat as fuel, et cetera. It is a process and it takes a while for our body to learn that. And something like Lumen is an an amazing framework to, because figuring that stuff out yourself, yeah. People will have heard of the keto diet and, the, and lots of people yeah. will have like def- differing variant, like understandings of what this oh, means. Man. But something like Lumen is so powerful, isn't it? I guess, because it's, it's a framework, it's easy. It tells you what to do. It's giving you, and, and like, it's, if you're built, if you have the kind of personality, I know it would it like appeals to me, the kind of like, I yeah. like stuff like that. It's like a, a challenge, you know, this, yeah. and, and, and it's something to like a friend that's with you for the, for the yeah. ride. Yeah. So I can imagine that if anyone's out there thinking to themselves, I feel like I'm doing everything I should be doing the thing at the moment with a lot of this stuff is that the way that your body reacts to sugar or anything and, and my body is so different different yeah so these things are tailored to you and they're going to give right. you really good interesting results that you can get direct feedback on and, and 10 years from now i mean i'm sure you're really really excited about this maria but like 10 years from now in terms of like wearables and the kind of yeah. feedback we're going to get is going to be insane um I know. i'm super excited about that it is, it, is incre- it is incredible. And the way that whole uh, weights and all of that automated systems mm-hmm. are changing as well. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about that, how, how the whole kind of strength training is going to tra- change massively in personal trainers. He said, I wouldn't bother doing your personal trainers. He said, you're all going to be putting automated numbers into machines and then they're going to work out, the machines are going to work out what you need to tell. I was like, really? Oh, great. <laughs> but it, it, is, it is really fascinating how, how all of that works and how we are that is so true we are also unique and my metabolism hasn't got to where it's got to today uh, well well let's say a year ago it didn't happen overnight it's going to take time for it to adjust and the whole keto thing is very interesting and i'm just going to throw that in here as a little freebie for you but um keto is great in some ways as a short-term fat loss type process but the big problem having trained as a lumen metabolic coach with keto is that you disable your body's enzyme response to carbohydrates by going so low carb. Mm-hmm. And so what is, and it's really interesting, it's a friend of mine did keto at the same time that I was doing Lumen and she kept saying, oh, I think you're eating too many carbs. And I was like, no, the Lumen puts you on low carb to start off with until you've learned how to burn fat, burn fat. 
then once you start burning fat in the morning, it starts re-adding carbs. But you don't, you're not never zero carbs with it, but you have lower carbs. But keto people generally they lose the weight, but then quite often they put it back on. And what happens is they basically stop being able to break down carbs and use it for fuel. And so instead of using it for fuel, they store it as glycogen. And then once they've eaten more than they can store as glycogen, that then converts to fat. So the whole keto thing is actually quite a dangerous strategy if you really want to lose weight and keep it off. And that's why I suppose Lumen really appealed to me because of the, you know, it's teaching your body to be good with both. And, um, and having been somebody that struggled with weight loss all my life, it's like since I was a teenager, I always gained weight as soon as I didn't do sport for a bit or I was, you know, out of the four children, I was always the one that gained weight. And it's like now for the first time in my life, I eat like loads, not loads of rubbish either. I eat, I eat fairly um, good food, but I can eat cake now and burn it. It's great. Mm. I just don't eat loads of cakes, but. It's it's just so like on both on both angles, and it's and it's really interesting going back to that October November, where the two things that were keeping you sane were yeah. Lumen and the live alcohol experiment. Yeah. The thing that's wonderful about both those things is it's like a whole um, relearning of in in, yeah. in both streams. Yeah. So what we're talking about here, and one of the reasons that we wanted to get you on here is. It's about lasting change. It's not yeah. about sticking plasters. It's not about fixing symptoms. It's it's true lasting change. And that does take some effort. But as we all know through being in this community, the effort isn't the kind of effort that, oh, God, I don't want to do this. It's if, if you have a curious mind and you're willing to be wrong, it's really interesting. And, and if you're, we're all very similar in that, like having the interest in the, the woo and the science and understanding the why and the how, then it's a really interesting place to get to. And, and the more the more things that you add on and it's, there's, there's just, there's so much. But that, but that point about lasting change, this isn't about just a flash in the pan and then going back to something else. It's, it's sustainable. Yeah. And then you feel great. So, I mean, you, you know, you yeah. and I, Maria, are both in this um, lovely world of the perimenopause, <laughs> which is a really, like, really God, Crazy. What, what an interesting place that is. And we were just talking before we started recording this about like, oh my God, like I am so fucking grateful every day that I'm not drinking right now because I can't imagine what this would be like yeah. with alcohol on board. It would be bloody crazy. And so to to not have any of the, the stress, the anxiety, the worry about that aspect of my health, whilst I'm inevitably dealing with this unpredictable period that I'm going to probably be in for 10 years or so, you know, who knows, but it's, you know, we, we don't need any of the additional stuff. This is kind of like <laughs> interesting and hard enough to, to manage as it is. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, when you think about the, you say about the um, the sustainable, lasting change, I I think, you know, if someone had said to me in twelve months' time, your life is going to look like it looks now, mm -hmm. I would have just said, don't be ridiculous. 
Someone had said to me, you will be four stone, over four stone lighter. You mm. will not want to have any Prosecco anymore. You will feel great. You will sleep great. You will have great energy levels. You know, I would have just said, don't be so ridiculous. And, and it wasn't, it didn't happen overnight. And, you know, I didn't get here overnight. What happened was, and none of us have got here overnight. You know, you haven't got here overnight, Ellie. You haven't got here overnight, Sam. What, 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 what is really key, and I guess this is something for people maybe listening, is it starts with one choice. Yes. Yeah. One little choice. And actually, it's probably just one little choice, one day at a time, one thing at a time for some people. I mean, yeah, I did tackle both, but I was in that place of discomfort, you know, acute discomfort. Mm. And it was fortunate, both the things, the two things, Lumen and the alcohol, uh, live alcohol experiment and being alcohol free really dovetailed really nicely in terms of this is all about my health and well-being, And I'm going to make, I'm going to do the best I can for me to get me well mm. in every area, physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, the cardiologist. I saw a cardiologist, a hematologist, a gynecologist. I saw every bloominologist. <laughs> and then, <laughs> And, and the cardiologist took a double take when I went back in the March to see mm. him. I haven't seen him in the January, having yeah. had the had to wear the ECG thing for a month. He took a double take and he went, he just looked at me and said, something's changed. And I said, well, I have lost 15 kilos because at that point it was only 15 kilos. And he and then he only. looked at all the graph. Wow. Yeah, I, I, but I lost 20, 26 yeah, overall. Yeah. But yeah, and he said, you have totally reversed the condition that you had by your change in lifestyle and nutrition. So this is one of the, the biggest things of this is that now is an amazing time to do something like stop drinking, because I know at every time in human history, it's always been a great time and, and our understanding of health and metabolic health and everything always, but the exponential growth in this, we're going to be living longer, healthier lives. This isn't about lifespan. It's about health span. And I've spoken yeah. about this before. And people, if you are to make a really positive decision now in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, yeah. it doesn't matter. With the science and the wearables and the, and the biofeedback and everything we're yeah. getting at the moment. Like, honestly, we don't know what this landscape is going to look like a few years from now. Lumen, let's be honest. Like, this amazing thing you're talking about, Maria, this is like... Um, it's uh, it's like an it's not entry level stuff, but we're at the beginning of what this yeah, stuff we can are. do. We are, which we is are. crazy. So the decisions you make now, over the next few years or few months, will support you to live a beautiful life for decades. So this is a really powerful message for people to to hear. And this kind of change, lasting change, is lasting, obviously, but. And, and sometimes we can get lost in this. How long is it going to take? And But look at the, your story. It's incredible. In what, a few months, you'd seen these incredible changes. I lost 50 pounds in seven months. That is mad. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I lost 60 overall, but it, yeah, it was incredible. In fact, I reached my goal and I thought, great. I've never been this slim. So I've reached my goal. I'm going to switch tracks with Lumen because you can do. So I was on the weight loss track and then I switched to the fitness performance track and there's mm -hmm. three goals in fitness performance endurance muscle mass and body composition so i went for the muscle mass and i'm still doing that at the moment or mm. you can do metabolic flexibility just that as a single goal so i switched across to fitness performance and still lost another 10 pounds wow. so you know it's great there's um there's one other thing that i want to circle back on that you talked about earlier on 
off the and, and this comes off the back of Sam just talking here about like there's, there's there's never been a better time. Not only has there never been a better time, but this is alcohol is an everyone problem. Yeah. It doesn't differentiate there there aren't and this is the, the whole reason Sam and I wanted to put this podcast together was to dispel all the myths. There, there aren't two types of people. There aren't people that can drink and people that can't drink. There's no such thing as an alcoholic. There's something called alcohol use disorder, which looks very much like a bell curve. And if you drink, you're somewhere in the bell curve. You might be at the lower end with the people, that, you know, those, those strange beings that can buy a glass of wine at the bar and then leave half of it and never <laughs> not drink the rest of it. Um, there are few people at the very serious end where you're talking about physical addiction, very few. And then everybody else is in the middle and everybody else are the kinds of people like us that are, you know, looking at the guidelines, they're, you know, 14 units a week or whatever it was thinking who the hell drinks 14 units a week. You know, if you drink, you're in there somewhere. And even if you don't feel that alcohol is causing you a problem right now, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be the case. The thing to think about is, are you drinking more now than you were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Because people don't tend to, to drink less. People tend to drink more because why? It's an addictive substance. And this, you know, we, we've talked about the science how it works for the brain and body it's it moderation uh, it, it doesn't make physiologically it doesn't make sense so this is like nobody's immune to to the effects of drinking and even if you just are curious enough to reduce your intake it is going to be so beneficial to you just to uh have the opening. The thing that was really interesting that you said, Maria, about your friend, the friend from the gym that posted about being six months alcohol free. And she was your opening to then find this naked mind, alcohol explained and so on. That's why we want to have this podcast and we want to be able to talk freely about what an alcohol free life really is like, and that it's life expansive as opposed to restrictive. And we talk a lot about sharing. We want to have people like you come and talk to us because you never know who hears this one little seed, the one little thing, the, the post on the social media about six months that then leads on to the next thing. So it's, it's so important to have these conversations. It really so, is. So, so, so powerful. I mean, I, I think first time around, I was probably a little bit embarrassed about it. Actually my first, uh, what I'd say alcohol free journey because I think there is probably a bit of a stigma attached to it but I think I think when you get into the space of realizing how positive life is in an alcohol free and actually actually most people not most people a lot of people certainly in my kind of working space most a lot of people drink there are there are more people that drink than, than don't drink and when you realize that actually moderation is a very gray area and how easy it is to move from a kind of what might be just occasional at the weekend or you know not even every week into a space where it's becoming more daily certainly weekly 
And then when you get into that space and then you don't really know what to do about it, mm. you know, and people in, uh, in professional contexts that have good jobs and that function fine at work and manage their work well, they might manage their work better if they weren't drinking at all, one would argue possibly, um, but people generally, you know, professionals and actually professionals can afford alcohol. So it's like a legal drug that, you know, is very accessible and very easy to have because we've made it a legal drug. And it is a drug at the end of the day. You know, I think we dress it up with all these nice, you know, well, you know, it's not really the, well, if it, if it wasn't really, then why would we have people that, you know, why would the NHS be so overloaded with alcohol related diseases? Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I think that, I mean, the marketing companies have clearly got a big stake in it all. Um, and my, you know, my family, we, we have, um, my brother's a very successful vineyard um, owner and producer, champagne producer. So there is a very, um, there's a real respectability around alcohol mm. for professionals. But I think that the problem is when people don't know when they get into the space that is sticky and actually they're out of control and now they don't really know what to do about it. So you're right, these conversations are really important. And that's one of the reasons why this time I've been quite open about it and I've been very open in the workspace about it with people to say, look, you know, anybody can end up in that space where you drink too much mm. and then you cross the line and then you, and then it's really hard to pull yourself back over that line because yeah. once you've done the muscle memory thing and you're overexposed, it's then very difficult, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like this, the, the, our whole, um, uh, the, the thing, one of the things that we want to achieve with this podcast and working with this naked mind is very much having opening up a wellness conversation as opposed to an addiction conversation yeah. getting in earlier in the chain and so yeah. these conversations are so so important yeah yeah wellness i mean yeah absolutely it, because and because i know in i can't remember which whether which bit of the alcohol experiment it is but where they talk about the association where Annie talks about the association between when you drink for stress or you drink for an emotional reason, you are make, the brain makes a stronger emotional connection in terms mm. of that pathway. Exactly. And so actually, if you drink for stress, it's actually more likely, it's almost like it's more addictive. The alcohol is more addictive in that space. And, and actually that did play out for me because the same, I had this challenging kind of relationship and that kind of repeated it, the cycle repeated itself. It was almost like that came back into my mix in the wrong space. And actually it was nothing to do with the individual because, you know, we'd moved on, but because my brain associated alcohol as a coping mechanism, my brain muscle memory was like, well, this is how you cope with it before. So that mm -hmm. played into my, you know, played into some of my challenges really, because I was back in that space mm -hmm. relationally. Um, go on. No, I was going to say I had a really I had a similar experience and I, I would like to thank you for coming on and sharing the way you have, because as a teacher at the time who I was pretty brave, I was I was blogging and talking about it, but I didn't you know, I could have been braver. And I, you know, it was I wrote a blog post once about how 
I'm breaking down the stigma at the same time because I'm not openly talking about it. I'm a part of it. Like, and I knew that at the time, but it's scary. Like when we have professional things and D, all these DBS chat and we're like, oh my God, what if like, what if they just fire me? What if the head teacher yeah. just says, well, no, that's not okay. Get out of here. And I don't think it's real. Like it, I don't, well, as they found out what I was doing, when I told them what I was doing, when I was going to leave and do this full time, they were very supportive, but it was scary. It was really scary. And so I'd like to thank you for being really brave and coming and, and, and spreading your story. And um, yeah, like, like it's, it's such a powerful one. It's really, really, really amazing that you're here doing this. Well, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad to play it, for, uh, pay it forward, as we say, because, you know, I wouldn't be here in such a healthy space had I not, well, not discovered this naked mind. I don't think, I mean, you can get, I definitely, you know, someone was saying, oh, well, you can do a dry January. Yeah, you can do a dry January, but if you want to really change your belief system and you want to change your life and you want a different frame and you want to live in a, a, an alcohol-free space, actually, you really have got to change what you believe about it. And mm. unless you change what you believe about it, you'll be back in the space anyway. And I don't think it is just about, it's definitely not about, you know, when someone said, oh, is it giving up? Well, for me, I had this conversation yesterday, I said, and no, it's not about giving up. It's about what you're going to gain. Yeah. Yeah. What what is what is the net get? What's the gain for your life? And I suppose for me, the positive emotion thing that was another thing in one of the uh, experiments. Listening right back in January, December, January time last year, the more positive emotion around the lifestyle, alcohol-free lifestyle, the more it reinforces, the more it gets stronger, the more that muscle memory then replaces that whole, you know, mm. you were talking about re rewiring Annie, Annie, Ellie, <laughs> and of course, much <laughs> take it. Ellie, <laughs> you're re rewiring your whole uh, patterns and behavior. Mm. And that positive emotion, you know, I love going to the gym. I love riding my bike. I love doing my exercise. And actually, I didn't really like strength exercise that much. But when my DNA test came back in December saying your body responds really well to strength training, I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to have to do strength training. Mm. And um, so I started off and, you know, the first week or so, I did find it a little bit difficult. I just didn't really like it that much. But I did it, you know, January, two weeks, three weeks. And I started doing it three times a week. Guess what? I am still doing it three times a yeah. week. And guess what? I really love it now. I look yeah. forward to my strength sessions. So even though I didn't like it, I've kind of trained my brain, my body, the positive emotion around it. Now I've got muscles. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And, and and so this is the thing, like as we head and we'll be, Sam and I will be talking more about the alcohol experiment um, in the, the coming weeks as we head towards January rapidly. The, the two things for people that don't know anything about it, it's it literally starts with, it's not what you give up, it's what you gain. That's the first thing. Second thing, it's all about positive emotions. So, yeah. you know, you um, will be talking about it a lot. You will have the most amazing experience. Um, and, you know, it was complete, a complete life-changing experience for me. Um, just before you go, Maria, big thank you from me, from the bottom of my heart. And... Um, I, we, we wanted to be able to signpost people to you. So your Instagram is uh, Maria Fox Wellness. That's right, isn't it? It's, yeah, at Maria Fox Wellness. Yeah, and um, I have got a YouTube as well if people want to. If they put in Maria Fox Wellness into YouTube, they can probably find. I've got about 340 subscribers now. I'm only doing wow, like, you know, basic things on YouTube. I haven't really started doing anything proper yet, but um, cool, I, 
So go and join Maria's growing community. Get in there early. And she's also got a discount code. So you can um, enter the code Maria um, if you're interested in Lumen. So at yeah. the check-in. Go check it out. It's yeah. Um, yeah. 15% I've, off if you do that. That's really worth having. And I've been fleeting around doing it. I mean, I know that I'm relatively metabolically healthy, but it's actually something I've, you know, I love that I geek on this stuff. So I think I'm probably, you might have convinced me to jump in as an early Christmas present and have a mess well, here around. Here we go with again. <laughs> Coffee machines um, out and lumens in. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for coming on. And I think me and Ellie are both really excited just to see, you know, what goes on. And we know that you're doing a lot of work in this space to, to get awareness out there about this. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it'd be amazing to see how your journey continues from this point on. Brilliant. Thank Brilliant. you so much, Maria. Thank you. What an inspirational story. I started this podcast with Ellie and one of the main reasons I wanted to do it was was really to help break down the stigma. And that's because of the experience I'd had in teaching and I didn't feel like I could speak openly about my experiences with alcohol. And wherever you are on the journey, however brave you're feeling, just a tiny, tiny thing like spreading the podcast or sharing it with somebody who you think might resonate with it can be so powerful. Planting seeds is huge and many of us have seen just the huge difference this can make over a few years. And I would like to, you know, put so much thanks out to Maria for coming on and doing this because I think it's so important. We don't have to do this the way we've always done it. There are so many incredible ways to become alcohol free now. And, you know, reach out, don't suffer in silence make sure that you're talking to somebody even if it's anonymously or if you feel like you can't do it in your workplace or you know get some support get yourself some uh, some amazing support because it can be so beautiful it's such a gift to give yourself okay have an amazing week and we'll uh, see you next tuesday